making a no-budget film, it's like going to war. But you're not General MacArthur storming the beaches with the force of a hundred thousand soldiers. Instead, you're you're more like a squad of Viet Cong guerrillas behind enemy lines, trying to complete an impossible mission using guile and your wits. The odds stacked against you. It's risky, difficult, and dangerous. I can swear to it. I've been there. Like Sophie has learned that when I start counting down, that yeah. the clap is coming. She doesn't like the clap. No, cause <laughs> no one likes the clap. Think <laughs> about it. Huh. Okay, should we start the show? Let's do it. Let's do it. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's been unusually rainy days out here in Southern California, um, off and on, which uh, we will take. We appreciate it. It doesn't come often. It doesn't last very long. But um, we've definitely entered into more of a dreary period here in Los Angeles. That's right. Normally, when Dave and I record the show, we are together out. We, we try to find a nice place at a park. Uh, yeah, right. My, one of my favorite was when we found that that gazebo on the beach and we recorded in there yeah uh, yeah watch watching the whales in the in the distance that was amazing we have uh, trash uh, foxes yeah we bring like a bottle of wine and some nice cheeses uh vegan ones for me yeah oh yeah uh, a lot of fresh avocado things like that we just have a little picnic yeah. while we do the show but right. today it's it's a rainy day and uh we're trapped inside we thought we would do a uh a, a show about rainy days and 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 when, when you're trapped inside and when it's a dreary day outside and, and you're feeling like a little entertainment, you'd light some candles up, you know, you, you like your favorite incense, you set the mood and uh, you, you have your go to playlist, uh, the movies that you know will comfort you. Maybe they're films that are uh, a bit long, weird, too weird to show to another audience, but they're the films that you like, you know, and uh... we thought what better way than to go down this list, this playlist of rainy day movies, but then to offer a top 10 of movies to watch in the rain in honor of the patron saint of rainy scenes, Mr. John Cusack. Star of the film, top 10 list. <laughs> I think it was called High Fidelity. High Fidelity is what this reference is about. Yes. Right, right. In case so we should... anybody else is as confused as I am. <laughs> so um, uh, I think whenever you're... You're making any sort of top ten list. You have to have a set of, of criteria, right? Um, like any good playlist, like any good mixtape, you have to have some some terms in which you're you're selecting these films from. But for me, when I think about movies to watch on a rainy day, a is it a movie that I'm familiar with? Um, sometimes a new movie is great. Sometimes a new movie is fine to put on. And so for me, I like to watch a movie that I've seen probably a million times that I I know by heart. Well, so what? So what is um, when you think about a rainy day movie? Like, what is what is uh, some of your criteria? Like, what what makes a great rainy day movie for you? Uh, well, kind of like what I was saying. It's like there's certain films that are, you know, important culturally. They're blockbusters. They're uh, or or they're just kind of like you know a lot of people are recommending them, or all your friends are watching it, and you're like, oh, I gotta ch- I gotta check it out, you know. And like that's not what these movies are. These are like those ones that you've kind of just you found on your own over the years and you're like, oh, I've got some, you know, I've, I've literally got like time to waste today. Uh, I'm, I've got no work to do, whatever my plans were canceled and I'm just kind of alone. Uh, so I'm going to like, you know, spend some of that time watching a three hour film that I've seen maybe four times in my life already. And right. uh, I just, I'm just going to go back to it and just see if I notice anything new, you know? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, for me, it's it's not only a familiarity, but it's also a tone. You know, sometimes uh, you, you want a movie that sort of matches that whose tone matches the tone of the day, and that can be done in in a variety of ways. I'm sure we'll explore with our list, but um, tone, familiarity, and uh, and also I think um, movies that can can help you escape. Absolutely, yeah, because that's that's what it's about really you're in, you're in your house and you might as well you can't go anywhere physically so let let the cinema take you to a a new location that you've you've never been or maybe you're visiting again there you go uh, so we we've got some some films for you to help you get there and uh 
and you can waste time with us if you're if you're, there, you're, you're already listening to this so we know you're good at wasting time that's right that's right we know that you have nothing better to do <laughs> than to listen to us love movies and and love films so hey, I, I was thinking, i'm gonna give you a hint out there guys you do have something better to do but we no. thank you for listening. We appreciate it. <laughs> so, so I was thinking what we could just do is just volley back and forth. You say your number ten, I'll say my number ten, and we'll give a little reason why. And then, uh, you know, at the end, we'll we'll pitch it to our audience. Maybe there's some movies that we didn't think about. Maybe there's some gems out there that we have uh, overlooked, and we'd like to hear about them. So, yeah, maybe, um, maybe some of the movies we're recommending today, you're gonna go, oh, if they like that film, probably like this film. Well, I'm gonna right. send us that recommendation. We'll check it out. And that's the whole point of this. What we want to do with this podcast is not, not just an excuse for for Matt and I to chat once a week, um, which is which is probably at the top of the list. But yeah. it's also it's also to create a little bit of a community. You know, um, part of us making this podcast was really to capture what we do when we hang out and sip coffee. You know, and and, and invite you into those conversations, invite you into this little community, this family of uh, two guys who just love art. Yeah, community is is kind of how it all started. Uh, we were you know, we were just we were out on one of our coffee excursions one day and I I said to Dave, it would be kind of cool if we had a third friend. And yes. he said, "Yeah, that that's I've been thinking about that too, you know." And uh he said the word podcast first. We kind of both said it at the same time. It was sort of like a, you know, like a in sync kind of thing, which is something that happens when you only have one friend. You say words at the same time. Right. You uh, develop a little bit of a twin language. Yes. And in you our know? twin language, he said, Angdele, which is, I knew that as our word for podcast. And we both right. did our, our secret smile. Yeah. And um, that's how this came to be. So we're hoping, third friend, if you're out there and you're listening, recommend Join a movie. Us. Maybe Join us, happen. third friend. Yeah. Join us. In our Nell language, if you've seen the movie <laughs> Nell, that's how we just, that's how we talk. Join yes. us, be part of our commune. Dangle tamumana, <laughs> right? Am I right? That's right. That's right. You know it. You know it, brother. You know All right. It. So, so, would you like would you like me to start with the? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Yes, go ahead. Number ten on your list of rainy day movies. All right. So, at the number ten spot on my list is a film from two thousand ten. It's called Boy. It's a simple title, oh. uh, just B-O-Y. And it's it's a film from New Zealand uh, directed by and uh, co-starring uh, Taika Waititi. Uh, Y'all okay. know this guy. He's been um, he's been kind of getting a pretty cool career going lately. He's, he's from New Zealand. He was working with um, the guys from uh, uh, Flight of the Concords, the other act from New oh, Zealand. Oh, yeah, those are great. Uh, recently he directed, I think it was Thor Ragnarok and he also oh, did, a, did, he? did a bit did he? he was that rock man that was in the prison. Yeah. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Right. You may have noticed like, Hey, that alien's from New Zealand. That was him. Uh, he's, um, got a show coming out called what we do in the shadows based on the movie. What we do in the shadows. Oh, did, did he direct the movie, the, the movie as well? Yeah. 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 And he's, he's one of the vampires in that film. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. He's, you, you, if you, you saw him, you'd recognize him, but boy is a rad movie, uh, where, a uh, a young man just simply goes by the name of Boy, played by James Rolston. He's uh, he's never met his dad because his dad's been in prison his whole mm-hmm. uh, childhood. But he, and he lives with his grandma and all of his siblings and cousins out in the uh, New Zealand countryside. And when the grandma has to go out of town, um, a car pulls up and it's it's his dad returned. You know, and Boy, never having met his dad, his, imagines him to be this really cool guy, this you know adventurous, you know kind of secret agent type of guy you know he's you know how kids can be right um and it turns out the dad's actually just like a total deadbeat and a loser and he's got these two uh gang members that he hangs out with uh and they he he kind of becomes this influence in boy's life and um that he that shouldn't be i mean the guy's an idiot it's a it's a comedy it sounds a little heavy you know but it's not it's it's a really light-hearted fun comedy and takes place in the 80s Everybody's obsessed with E.T. and Michael Jackson. And uh, it's just a really cool look at, like, New Zealand life in the 80s with, a you know, a great cast and a lot of funny jokes and just, I mean, awesome kids. Uh, and and uh, Taika Waititi, is, uh, his performance is hilarious, man. All right, so, on, so number 10 on my list um, is a little bit of a throwback. It's, it is one of my go-to favorite horror films, Jack Arnold's The Creature from the Black Lagoon. 
right. part of uh, the Universal Monsters of Filmland series. That movie, I, you know, I, I was really close to putting The Shape of Water, which is sort of an unofficial cousin of the creature, but but really you got to go back to the original. The the suit still stands up. It's one of the best creature looks of any yeah. movie before or since. Um sort of in the theme of uh, creating a world where you're in this exotic locale where you're you're exploring this prehistoric being it sets the tone right away and there's also this really and, and this is where i think the shape of water sort of picked up on this there, it, it there's an underlying love theme in a strange way okay. it might be one of the early films where the monster falls in love i guess king kong maybe came before that but one of those films where, where you can start to sort of really empathize with the quote-unquote creature. And um, I think, aside from just being a rad film in its own right and, and having an amazing-looking uh, antagonist, it it was one of those films that I think influenced a lot of modern horror directors, certainly Guillermo del Toro, but I think also Rob Zombie, um, Tim Burton. You could look at a lot of these directors that went on to have a fascination with the quote-unquote bad guy. And and when they when it came turn for them to make their own movies, put the creature in a more empathetic position, um, which I think speaks to a lot of us who grew up maybe not feeling like we quite belonged. So um, this is one of those films that I think kind of sets that tone. And and when it's a rainy day, it's a it's a cool black and white film. It's kind of fits the the vibe of the evening. And I've seen it. So many times now. And you're not kidding about that suit. I mean, because back then it was just like every, you know, everybody's in like stiff suits where you can see the zipper and the, you know, they, the, no facial expressions at all. Just kind of a miracle they can even move in these things. And that 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 guy coming out of the water, very believable for the time period. Very yeah, cool. I mean, he's I mean, he's doing un, all these underwater stunts in this massive suit, and um, you know, the, the expression that they carved into the the creature into Gilman's face. Uh, Badass. Yeah, it's badass. For my number nine, I have a film called, coming from Japan, it's called Izo from 2004, directed by Takashi Miike. Okay. It's a revenge film. Uh, Izo was a historical figure in Japan. He's a, he was a samurai and an assassin um, from, from, their, from their history. And um, this is a film that kind of, well, famously, he was um, put to death. Uh, for I think for treason and then was later absolved of it uh, if I got that right and okay. so this film is it takes place after Izo's death you know the film begins with his execution and um, then we watch for like three hours as Izo's vengeful spirit just starts invading different time periods and realities and scenes and just getting his revenge it's it's like as if um like imagine if uh you know suddenly this weird portal just opened up and you know if you were out with your friends in a nightclub or something and suddenly this weird portal just opens up and this samurai just comes flying through and, and not not like flying like superman i mean it's almost as if whenever he goes from one place to another he's like experiencing a, a gravitational shift or something he's just sort That's of thrown into a scene and he you know, and now you've got this angry, hateful samurai standing there with his sword, just looking for his next target. And he looks so wrong that you're going to attack him. And, and so, so basically, Izo is just going through all of reality, you know, one scene to the next, looking for fights, looking for revenge, eventually trying to find, of course, God himself to get revenge for his right. terrible injustice that he couldn't get revenge for because of his execution, you know. And he, he was a a great and famous warrior and the way he died was just so unfair so Mike takes a look at you know yeah how would this spirit what would he do what would what would an evil spirit or a, a vengeful spirit chasing god really look like you know would it take place in some heavenly battle or would it be right here on earth just sort of popping in and out of different time periods right. and different locations different cultures and just attacking people until the god finally reveals himself and the whole film it's like I said it, it is long I mean it's it's just like three hours of angry sword fights against all kinds. I mean, you know, he'll go from fighting cowboys in the Old West to fighting uh, other samurai to fighting uh, Yakuza in the modern day, uh, you know, and, and he's just and he's getting closer and closer. The whole time the gods are aware that this is happening and they're getting more and more worried. 
and uniquely the film uh these scenes are broken up by these really amazing performances by uh this some japanese acid folk singer he's it's kind of like if tom waits was japanese and he only sang about hatred and dead children um that's kind of what this guy is and he's just sort of so you'll go from this sword fight scene to this guy sitting on a table with an acoustic guitar just singing this really dark song and then it'll cut back to the movie and it's it's a real cool experience i mean if you've got the three hours to just sit there and really lose yourself in it it's full of uh wild philosophy and uh really great cinematography and uh, you know Takashi Miike he's kind of known for some of his more um uh, violent, disturbing films, um, Audition, Ichi the Killer. but right. uh, And this one is very violent and disturbing, but not in the gratuitous way that he he's kind of celebrated for. This one is yeah, right. uh, a lot of thought went into this and it had a great cast and it's a really good movie. Well, you, you were one of, you're probably the first person who really introduced me to Japanese cinema. And one of the things that I, I always found that comes from it is that they're able to tell these very broad, epic, stories that feel like they should not be contained in one movie even if it's a long movie right oh yeah movie i think they take these sort of these sort of philosophical risk with a lot of their films and they're able to express it in a way that american and british cinema just really hasn't caught up to yet um i mean as you're telling me this story this sounds like it could almost be a, a spiritual cousin to um preacher Oh, and yeah. not the and not the TV show, but the comic and the, and and sort of the tale that the comic is trying to convey, right? That kind of um, just just sort of like one character that just kind of feels that the world is wrong and is going to get revenge not, on the one who created it. Yeah, I was gonna say, and not just the world, right? Not just like what happens with man, but actually, its creator is wrong. Yeah, and and this the whole system is wrong. And I've always been really drawn to stories of rebellion, and I think that. Um, that sounds like it's a really interesting way of, of, of taking that theme that we all feel and, and sort of creating a cool cinematic experience around it. Absolutely. Well, what have you got for number eight? Well, uh, number nine. My number nine. Oh, right. So, nine. Yeah. yeah, so from, from a, a cinematic masterpiece like that to uh, the quite opposite in some ways, number nine sort of dovetails off of my number ten, and it's Tim Burton's Ed Wood. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I have a fondness for old Hollywood, obviously, given what I do. And um, and this, in particular, I have a fondness for indie film. When, when people think indie film, they think about Robert Rodriguez. Maybe they think about John Carpenter. But you got to go all the way back to Ed Wood Jr. And, and look at some of the films that he was doing and look at the passion that he put into it. I think one of the things that people lose, and I think we talked about this a while back, and maybe even in our first episode when we were talking about Mandy, was people attempting to make these so bad they're good films and failing miserably, right? Right. And I think that you can take risk with your filmmaking, and I think that you can do a lot with very little. I mean, Acceleration, which we talked about last week, the film I finished uh, just a couple weeks ago, had, um, in, in comparison to Hollywood films, a much smaller budget, but you were able to make some very creative choices in order to make the film look visually stunning, have some interesting story points, um, make it a really interesting thrill ride. Though that ethos of like thinking on the fly, of uh, you know, taking what you have available to you and sort of crafting your story around that, I think travels all the way back to Edward Jr. And I think that Tim Burton, who obviously shares that same love for the um, the oddball characters, the misfits, he was able to sort of capture that energy, the sort of the blind enthusiasm and optimism that that ronald reagan sort of conveyed the the um yeah the, the sort of naivete of reagan and that 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 youthful um enthusiasm he instilled in his portrayal of edward and um it's just a fun film the the, the film that we made together we made a short film called captain three and die uh-huh. as a little 48 hour film fest gem and um you know we was like hey, what do we have uh, our sound mixer had a little barn house kind of thing out in the country and it's like okay great we'll write it around that right, who else do we have we got some we got some friends who will who will come if we have some beer okay great it's at a part it's at a beer party and you know it was just like what what's around us and right. and i think we might have had a pitchfork um and that was it like that that was that was the beginning of that story so to me uh 
when it's a rainy day and I kind of want to be taken back to a, a more innocent time, Ed Wood is, is one of my go-tos. Yeah, it's a great film. Um, I've, I've got something uh, for number eight that's um, kind of, uh, it's, it's not a uh, so bad it's good kind of fake it till you make it sort of movie. It's a documentary. Oh. Yeah, that's where a film is, um, it doesn't have like a story or a plot. It's they film real people and ask them questions. Have you seen these things? Uh, I've heard of them once or twice. They're very strange movies because you go in there and you're like, okay, so where's Brad Pitt? Where, what's going on? Nobody's he's, uh, he's he, he, Brad Pitt's eating uh, while he's you're doing he's the in interview. He's another film eating something. He's another uh, film eating something. Yeah. But, well, actually, someone in this one, there was a famous person. So this, this is oh. a documentary. It's, a, it's an Academy Award winning documentary. It means that means people liked it. It's from 1972 and okay. it's called Marjo. And it's the story okay. of Marjo Gortner. Marjo Gortner was uh, the world's youngest preacher. He started preaching professionally at the age of five. Uh, I mean, there were people getting married by this, this six-year-old kid, you know, like he was doing weddings and he was on TV. Very famous, very famous child in the uh, Southern Christian community. And um, the film- well, Where was he based out of? Oh, um, the South. I don't remember that part, but uh, the you, deep South. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, like those uh, those states where um, people uh, have you know pick up like you know how you guys have um, mopeds. And no, I we think, have Priuses, uh, Priuses, Prius. and, uh, and Teslas. And great, uh, P- yes, these people Which... have pickup trucks. They're kind of like ah. that, but you can put uh, tools in them, and they have clear more. brush. Yes, yes. There. Anyway, getting back to the film. Uh, so Marjo is uh, now he's a young man uh, in his twenties. Uh, I think he's in his late twenties, maybe early thirties, and he has gotten away for about a decade. He's been away from the uh, the preaching game. He, he's he's a non-believer, which is amazing. That's what's so cool. So this, so he's a non-believer now. He and but here's the deal. He has been preaching again for the past couple of years. He's been doing revival tours and he's back on the circuit and he's because it's the only job he's really good at. But so he doesn't right, believe anymore. Right. So you've got this wow. man. He's in his third. And this is this is an awesome documentary. He's in his 30s or late 20s. He doesn't believe anymore. He'd like he'd rather be, you know, singing in a band or right, acting doing, in doing films. normal things. Yeah. But all he can do is preach. So he gets this idea. I'm going to expose myself, you know, not not, not in a in a indecent illegal way i mean um I'm gonna, you know let the world know that i'm faking it so he hires a doc i mean it doesn't hire he but he gets he works with a documentary film crew to make this film about what a fraud he is and it is so cool because you've got these you got this this famous preacher you know back at it who's been preaching since he was old enough to know better um and you know his parents forced him to be a, a preacher when he was a kid i mean this it's not like you know, at three years old, he started reading the Bible, all the stuff his parents say. It's like, this was, you know, it's kind of like those pageant moms. They like train their right, kids. To, and, right. yeah, and people, oh, wow, you know, she's she's in, she's got the style and grace of Audrey Hepburn. It's like, no, her mom trained her that way, you know. Yeah, she's, she's a trained bear in a circus. Yeah, I mean, he would, he would be up there preaching and his mom would be doing hand signals and stuff that only he understood, you know, about what like he's our, supposed to do Like next. our twin language. Yeah, like, yeah, like, so yeah, you, you know how that works. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so he, uh, so he, the film is basically him, you know, showing what a lie his life is. And you get to see backstage at these, uh, you know, here you get to hear him talking. You know, he, he presents his film crew as if they are there making a film about, you know, a Christian documentary. They are Christians, right. too. You know, he trains the film crew on how to act like Christians so that they won't be exposed for what they are wow. doing. That's so, fascinating. Yeah, you get full backstage access to all these preachers, and they're talking about the business, and they're talking about, you know, it's it's preachers, you know, with uh, let kind of letting loose around each other, and and um, you know, well, it's and, pulling the it's pulling the curtain back to a probably a world that's on the same level of secretiveness as like magicians. Yeah, it's a bit of that. It's really neat, and and you'll hear Marjo talking about how you know he wishes, you know, to, to, to like kind of telling the the documentary crew like how he wishes he was. You know, he would like to be uh, in a band like the Rolling Stones. He loves Mick Jagger. And then it'll cut to a scene of him 
singing a song in church and he is straight up dancing like Mick Jagger up there. And you know, the people are just thinking he's touched by the Holy Spirit looking at him move, you know, but you've just heard him talk about how Mick Jagger is one of his biggest influences. And I mean, it's hilarious. It's a really cool movie and um, it's a, it's a fun and easy watch. And as far as documentaries go, uh, it's just, it's one of the funnier and um, more enjoyable ones. I think, you know, there's a lot of like serious murder ones out right now on Netflix and stuff. But if you want just like a lighter documentary, yeah, it right. Pokes and, and fun at some of uh, some of our you know most sacred institutions. Marjo is is a good one. Right, and 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 there's something about the reality of life that is so when captured properly is so interesting. I did a film uh, in 2016, maybe, called Psycho Family. It was uh, there's a YouTuber named McJuggernuggets, Jesse Ridgeway, and okay. he had seen these. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen them on YouTube. They were really popular for a while. These freakout videos. It's, it's these videos that get, go viral because some usually a, a young male kid spazzes out over not being able to play his video games. Yes, or, um, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, right. So he made one sort of as a, as a send-up, sort of, sort of not mocking it, but, but definitely sort of tongue-in-cheek doing this sort of video where his dad takes a whole bunch of his video games and runs over it with a uh, rideable mower. Uh-huh. And it blew up and it went super viral. And it wasn't really his intention. He just wanted to do one because it just thought it was funny. And um, he's actually really influenced by the TV show Lost. And so what he did over the next three or four years is he crafted this entire world where in the beginning, they're just these little silly freak out videos, but he played it straight. And he, in his mind, he had this idea that um, as the, the series progressed, the freak outs would become more and more extreme and the conflict between him and his father would become more and more extreme to the point of him snapping and killing his dad and fleeing to Sweden. Okay. It's it's a brilliant and and you know like this is YouTube so this is not in the mind of a lot of his fans. This is not a show. This and is this, just This is that kid that's like I want to play Warcraft and he It's like, like one of those. Yeah. Yeah, is it that one though? Like or I you got me a white truck. I didn't want that color truck. I, I think there was like kind of one kid that was really famous it, for It might it might be Jesse. Yeah, McDuggan. It might be him and so he, he just kept elevating the story and then he started incorporating more members of his family together. Um, you know, his uncle ends up driving a truck into a pool and his uncle did the stunt for real, you know? And then, um, oh. you know, they he kept getting he kept getting the, the cops called to his house because he would shoot these scenes. Like, he did this whole bit where him and his friend are playing a video game and I think his dad gets mad so he's trying to take a tractor truck to their little room and he, like, tears it down and, you you know, you see inside the room that the, the walls are crumbling around them and... It's all it's all staged, but you know people who are watching this were freaking out, like you know, and calling the police. I'm like, you got to go to Jesse's house. His dad's gonna kill him, you know. And uh, it's a fascinating story because it's it's um, it's an entire community that sort of rallies around this young man to help him tell his story, which they probably couldn't really understand. I mean, I think at one point his parents um, in story got divorced because of how psycho his father had become, and they wouldn't be seen in public for over a year. Like, they lived together still, but in the story, she moved out, and they wouldn't go out to eat. They wouldn't be seen in public um, while the story was progressing that they were supposed to be split for fear of exposing it. It's great. It's one of the one of the more proud things I worked on, and it, it sounds in, in a similar vein to the story that you just told, where these people just fabricate this entire story and, and can really convince people. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so, so my number eight is a bit different and, and might not seem like a classic rainy day story but my number eight is um steven Schamberg's secretary sorry uh, james spader and maggie gillenhart is it's it's one of the better stories that talks about more of a, a fetish kink lifestyle it is it's a it's a really interesting take on it um i think it does you know the whole the whole sort of fet life genre seemed to really kick off all the you know, the, the Midwest moms decided that they want to be spanked kind of kicked off with the Fifty Shades of Grey movie, right? Oh, right, yes. That sort of romance novel turned movie, um, Twilight fan fiction stuff. But this movie, which came a few years prior, I actually think does a really good job of showing the complexity between two characters, showed it in a really a very real way, and did so that didn't really exploit that lifestyle. It just sort of presented it as being earnest an earnest lifestyle that people live um and on a rainy day when you're feeling 
you're feeling uh, maybe not so much in a dark mood, but maybe in a little bit of a saucy mood. It's this there's a certain sensuality about the you know a heavy rainy day. I think Secretary is a really interesting film to watch. Um, it really should if you're not familiar with that lifestyle at all, it will, it will potentially open your eyes to it and present it in a way that is um, far more respectful i think than a movie like 50 shades of gray does does it have naked people in it there is you know i, I there's not a there's actually not a ton of nudity in it but it does being, i think the audience wants to know does it have naked people in it you might see some butts maybe all right it's so funny because it's, it's a film butts. that that is dealing with sex and kink and fetish but it, it's not terribly exploitative in, in the same way where it's like, like if you watch 50, 50 Shades of Grey it's like dude with that running a, a spoon an ice cream spoon down his chest and you know tying a girl up and it, it's it's not meant to tantalize in that way it's it's a uh-huh. very it's a very um, interesting and alternative dark love story in a certain way so I, the, I, there's I, a I part in fantastic. 50 Shades of Grey where the guy's eating ice cream and he just kind of starts like rubbing the ice cream spoon on his chest. Yeah, I don't remember if it's him or her. I only I only saw the first movie all the way through and I was just like, God, this sucks. Yeah, I skipped um, it. I, uh, it's, it's, I'll tell you though, if you guys want to go laugh on a rainy day or otherwise, you should watch the Cinema Sins YouTube channel's um, take on the first Fifty Shades of Grey. It's brilliant. Okay. It's so great. Um but yeah, there's this. I think there's a scene where she's eating ice cream, and it's like you know, it's nicely lit, and the 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 blue moonlight is coming through the window, and he takes his shirt off, and he's got abs on top of abs, and she you know licks the spoon clean and rubs it down his chest. And it's just so yeah. it's so romance novel. Like I'm shocked yeah. Fabio's not in the film. Oh, Fabio, he's great, a real talent there. Yeah, yeah, um, he's he's I, got some of my favorite uh, Fabio uh, the cover box art for. Um... Uh, I think it was Wizards and Warriors for Nintendo. Fabio. Oh, was he really on it? Good. Yeah, great performance. My my, uh, my favorite performance. The roller coaster getting hit in the face by. A that's bird. mine. That's my favorite performance. <laughs> by a bird. Yeah. Yeah. That's when he got amazing. when he got he got flipped the bird literally. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I just told you about a film uh, about a boy that didn't get to have a childhood because his parents forced him to be a preacher. My next film is about a boy that didn't get to have a childhood because his mom locked him in their apartment until he was like 38. Jesus. And, uh, yeah. And uh, it's called Bad Boy Bubby. It's from uh, 2005, directed by Ralph Deheer, starring Nicholas Hope. And it's an Australian film. Uh, Bubby is... So now he's in his in his mid to late 30s uh, with a receding hairline, and um, he's never left his, this apartment. There's no windows his mom is this awful monster that has this horrible Oedipus relationship with him. Uh, every day, is, she is this uh, a, a a scripted film or a documentary? Oh yeah, no, no, it's not a documentary. No, this is okay. this is a really weird, dirty indie movie. It's I mean, dirty but not. It's 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 beautiful but it's ugly. It's one of those films. that's like, you know, kind of acknowledges that we all you know, go to the bathroom and, and, you know, that life, no matter how beautiful it is and no matter how nice your day is, it's going to have some, you know, gross aspects to it as well, you know? Right. Yeah. Showing, showing life warts and all. Yeah. You know, to get even more philosophical that, that flowers are, are fertilized with, you know, stinky manure, you know? (laughs) So it's like that kind of film. It's got, it's got all of it. It's got all the aspects, you know? So, uh, and, and it's sort of like a, uh, you know, Siddhartha like the Buddha leaving his temple kind of movie as well you know where it's like right right because he's he's trapped in this place he doesn't know he's trapped he thinks every day when I mean she's got this you know kind of ingenious method of keeping him in there where every day she puts on a gas mask to go to work because if he leaves the apartment the gas will get him and if the gas doesn't get him Jesus will she's got this like really horrific uh you know crucifix on the wall with Jesus on it and she sits him at the table while she's away at work and he's just got to sit there because G- this he believes that this Jesus is watching him you know and if he if he does anything wrong sh- she'll know and because Jesus will tell her and she'll beat him it's so she's got this whole system you know and it's it's really what it's about though is like you know how how small you know someone with a really small world suddenly going out into the world they kind of are going to try to find those things that they love you know and they're going to try right. to you know he so he kind of 
eventually he escapes and now he's a grown man out in society with the mind of a child he loves music and um, he's just kind of on this adventure learning about society and how to be a member of it and uh, it is it's I, I I really can't describe it well enough I mean but just I mean be ready for it it is a shocking film like a lot of stuff happens in this movie that it's not you know like uh, ooh, people are being victimized in horrible ways it's not that it's just you know it's not like disturbing punch you in the gut disturbing but it's um, you know it does have some scenes that are just kind of you know a little more gross than like most movies would would put in them right well most movies kind of clean it up right sanitize things a little right. bit and, and it yeah. sounds like what this movie is not only an opportunity for you to to uh, relate with the character trying to find their way trying to find their passion right but also steeping it so so deeply in the realities of life that hopefully you probably connect with it as well yeah i mean because it's essentially like you know as a grown man and in, in in the span of about a, I guess about a year, he learns all those lessons that we've had our whole, you know, childhoods and upbringings to learn. And it's really cool. He falls in love. He joins a, a, a really cool indie rock band. Uh, he gets famous, um, you know, all kinds of really neat stuff happens to him, uh, happens to him. Yeah. A lot of really neat stuff happens to him. And he just, uh, and you just kind of get to watch it all and, and go along for this weird, disturbing ride. And, and by the end you're really happy. Uh, it's a very happy movie. That's awesome. That's awesome. What's it called again? Bad Boy Bubby. Bad Boy Bubby. All right. All right. Well, my number seven is a little bit of a throwback film. It's it's certainly one of the more influential films that I've ever seen. Um, it came out in the mid '90s, right as I was, you know, coming of age myself, and set you know sowed the seeds for me wanting to become you know eventually become a filmmaker and that is Doug Lyman's and John Favreau's Swingers. A little bit of a different movie in terms of tone I think um, the movies I've listened to date all have sort of a darker element to them you know there's a little bit of a gothic sort of romanticism to them. Swingers is very much more a slice of life it's uh, it's also would be on my list of post breakup movies but I picked it because while it doesn't have the overt darkness that, say, you know, Creature of the Black Lagoon or Ed Wood or even Secretary might have, um, the lead character of Mikey has a, a, a dark cloud over him for most of the movie. And, and so I, I would imagine that if they'd have had the budget for it, there would have been, you know, the famous John Cusack in the rain type scenes where a character emotes while, you know, there's a downpour on him. But they didn't. So they shot it in other more interesting ways. And and the dark rainy cloud is more symbolic for the lead character as he is trying to get over uh, a breakup, trying to get over moving on with his life for with that has drastically changed. Not only in in that he he had a breakup with someone whom he thought he'd be spending his life with, but moving to a new city, not having any money, gigs not working out. Those are things that I can relate to, um, and maybe in a similar way to Ed Wood, whereas Ed Wood kind of reminds me of the. Um, the sort of the fantasy and romanticism of of Hollywood, I think Swingers is more rooted in the reality of what it feels like moving out to Los Angeles and trying to make it in an industry that you're just one of a million people trying to make it in. There's a famous scene in it where Mikey's at a bar and, and he's he's hitting on a girl. He's, he, he musters up the courage to to ask, you know, to start talking to a girl. And she's like, oh, you look so familiar. I must, you know, he's trying to really big, big shot himself, right? Oh, yeah, I'm working the circuit. I got, you know, representation. And I'm doing mostly in Vegas, et cetera. She's like, you look so familiar. You look so familiar. And she's like, no, I know where I saw you from. You came in to get a coffee and you asked for a resume, <laughs> you know? <Yeah. laughs> and in that moment, this whole, like, it's taking them, you know, a big chunk of the movie to even get up the courage to, to do this part of, you know, to do this whole, this whole gimmick. And she just, she just tears it down and she sees right through it and just crushes him, you know, yeah. it just absolutely crushes him. And he just, he just leaves rejected. And, um, I think he ends up actually getting her number in spite of all of that, you know, is that the just, one that he, he calls her and he leaves and then, horrible, and, awkward message? Yes. Yeah. One of my favorite <laughs> and most uncomfortable scenes in any movie. Yeah. Um, you know, he gets his number he gets home. He's supposed to wait six days to call her. Yeah, that's right. And he just and we've all been there, right? How many times have we been there? Where we're like, oh, I just I got someone's number. Or I talked to someone, and I should just wait. And then you just can't wait because you need that validation that they also are gonna talk to you at some point. Mm -hmm. And so he leaves like ten messages in a row, and they just get 
progressively more pathetic and to the point where he he ends it before it's even started you know it's oh, just yeah. not working out it's too soon etc and she finally picks up and she's like don't ever call me again yeah yeah <laughs> and that we have now we have the the text message so we don't have to but but back in our our younger days we had to leave those awful awkward messages those voice right say, hey it's i'm that guy <laughs> hey remember me don't forget about yeah, me i know you just cool meeting I, you <laughs> i know you just saw me a few minutes ago but uh hey uh keep, yeah. keep me in your so, thoughts uh, for a while yeah i was just thinking uh yeah terrible stuff of course nowadays with the text messages um you better play it cool or you're gonna end up uh, with a screenshot of your horrible yeah, right. text message on some reddit thread well that's it and, and i think also you know it's even um even even though we don't have the voice messages anymore, I think people can still relate to those like just too soon text or just oh, yeah. too many follow up texts. Yeah, exactly. You know, how many times uh, have you seen? Speaking of these screenshots, how many times have you seen on a Reddit thread or on Facebook? You know, just that, that awkward like, "Hey, how's it going? Hey, how are you? How's your day today?" Like, it just, there's no response, right? Yeah, yeah. Just the, and like you just keep you keep going later. to the well. Hello, are you there? Hey. Right, right. Yeah, it's just and, awful. <laughs> and so this movie was doing that, you know, showcasing that in a way that I hadn't seen before all the way back in the mid-90s. And it's it's a great story about just redemption and and finding finding the way out of your black hole, of your rainy day, through just being yourself, being authentic yeah. to yourself. So, and when, he, when so, he does that, he's able to sort of find a little sunshine. Also, Vince Vaughn, very, very good performances. I mean, kind of... Brilliant. The kind of role Vince Vaughn should be doing. I mean, yeah, that was I, awesome. I had, he was just himself, basically. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, I, I had the opportunity to, to sort of work with him. I um, I had a friend who does locations, and he needed help for just a day. Uh-huh. And and even though I don't work in locations, I was like, sure, I'll, I'll come out and help you out. Like, you know, you've been good to me. And uh, it, it was a movie called A Case of You with Justin Long. And um, Vince Vaughn, I, I've never, I haven't seen the whole movie yet. I just shot the one day, and... And Vince Vaughn was there, and he he had a scene where he, they're in a some sort of corporate office, and he's got the sort of diatribe that he's got to rattle off as he's walking, right? And every every single take, he's just brilliant. It's all different. He he kind of has. It's like he takes like the, the key notes of the scene, yeah. And then and then he just he colors in the lines, and he's brilliant every time. Every take is funny. Every take gives you something a little bit different, and then. Um, if you've ever seen the show Entourage, I think the character of Vince in Entourage is based off of not only Leonardo DiCaprio, but also Vince Vaughn. Because about towards the end of the day, about three or four guys show up, just bros, you know, just some bros show up in the elevator. They obviously don't work on the film. And um, and Vince, they, they say, great, Vince, we're happy, we cut. And, and Vince sort of meets up with his guys, he gives them all the bro hugs and shakes. And he's like, all right, guys, see you later. And he, him, and his, him and his Entourage just... Or obviously off to some sort of bar and, and on to the next scene. So yeah, he's got a real was, entourage. That's yeah, it was it was exactly it was like him and his buddies, his hanger ons. Uh-huh. Like it was it was hilarious. But um, yeah, he's brilliant in this movie. He really he really had an opportunity to shine. And and the, the greatness of this movie is that it just is sort of based around his that group of friends. That was kind of them. That was kind of their life, and and uh, in a more cinematic manner. Yeah, yeah, great movie. Uh, for mine was where are we on number six now. Yeah, number I've six. I've got um, Terry Gilliam's film from 2013, The Zero Theorem. Oh, I haven't seen that one yet. It's good. It's it's kind of like if uh, I thought if, you were gonna say Time Bandits, to be honest. Oh, Time Bandits, great movie. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we will do a show about that someday. <laughs> That's a great movie. But uh, uh, no, Zero Theorem is like you know a lot of people know Brazil. You know Brazil, his right, uh, kind right. of dystopian future film from the 80s. Um, young Robert De Niro. Uh, well, the Zero Theorem is sort of like if Gilliam made a film like Brazil, uh, Brazil in the, um, you know, after the internet came out. It's, it's, okay. um, yeah, it's, it's another kind of crazy future that's not too far away. And uh, Christoph Waltz plays a, uh, like a computer programmer, I, I suppose. Uh, it's, it's very different though. It's not what coding looks like today. He, uh, you know, he sits in a gaming chair with a gamepad, and he kind of plays this weird. Um, it looks like a, it looks like a video game almost, like a puzzle game or something. But it's it's him working, and um, his he's so exceptional at this that his boss uh, puts him on a secret project 
to um, sort of solve the zero theorem, which uh, his boss believes that um, the uh, it's sort of the, the the kind of existential question of like can something come from nothing, uh, you know? So he he believes that at one point there had to be something where there had to be a time where there was no universe. Essentially, there was nothing, and now there is something. And so, since out of nothing came all of existence that must mean that all of existence is equivalent to nothing. So he's got his best minds of the company trying to figure out how, I guess, math- how to mathematically prove that infinity also equals zero. And, um, okay. And, and yeah. And, uh, Christoph Waltz is, uh, this, this weird guy that, uh, speaks about himself in third person uh, no, 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 plural. He's he's we. He's they. He's he's plural for some strange reason. Uh, he um, he works from home because one night he got a phone call. Uh, uh, you know, woke him up in the middle of the night. His phone ringing. He picks it up, and a person says hello. And then he waiting. He just knows that the person is about to tell him uh, some kind of secret to life and happiness and everything, but he just. It, you know, this isn't said that he just knows that he's about to hear this in this phone call and the line goes dead. So now he's, he's wait. He wants to work from home because he's expecting to get, you know, that person to call back and, and tell him that secret that will solve all of his, all of his problems and, and make him happy and fix this whole thing. So he's, he's got a little bit of a mental issue, obviously. And, uh, now he's been put on this really important project or is it, or is it just a waste of time? And, and you're kind of just going through this weird, you know, you know, Terry Gilliam films. I mean, that fear well, of loathing and, in Las and Vegas kind right. of. Right. Well, how yeah. interesting is it that a character whose mission is to decide, um, is nothing, everything and is everything, nothing to also have his ultimate mission. The question of his mission or the validity of his mission be nothing, be worth nothing or be worth or be the most important thing in the world. So there's right. obviously some parallels there between what he's asked to do and whether if the ask is 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 really the question. Yeah, it's 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 a fun one. And it's not as heavy a thinker as it sounds like. It's it's just, you know, a typical Terry Gilliam silly world where everybody's got their own weird quirky things going on and and it's well, really kind of, cool. That's kind of the interesting thing about ter- Terry Gilliam films is that they always fun like they always feel like fun rides and they're definitely quirky, but they they always pose a good question. That you can choose to, to think about or or ignore if you want to. Uh, it doesn't hurt the film's entertainment, per, you know, value. But he does usually pose those questions, and I think um, if you look back at his his sort of library of films, there's there's always that underlying, like if you want to take this experience deeper, right? You know, take this pill. Yeah, exactly. Or or watch the film a few more times and and start you know coming up with your own interpretation. Right. Yeah, because really, uh, like all art, these films are, are really only half complete. You know, it's they they put the art out there for you, and it's up to the viewer to kind of tell the other half of the story of how they interpret right. it. Again, just like we said at the top of the podcast, it's about community, right? Yeah. A, a great film has the ability to make you part of the process as you watch it. You know, they in filmmaking in in filmmaking they say. You know, a film is made three times. It's made in the script level, it's made in the production, and it's made in the edit, right? Or you could say the direction, maybe. Uh-huh. But but I think there's a fourth experience that the film has made, and that's in the viewing. That's in the audience. Absolutely. You know, and, and depending on what your viewing experience is can, can radically shape how that film comes across to you. Oh, yeah. Speaking of a cinematic experience... Um, if not a fun ride, my number six is Robert Rodriguez's Sin City. Yep. You know, uh, again, uh, setting the tone of this 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 modern noir, rainy day, big city, hard boiled, you know, crime anthology. Uh, this was a film that came out, and and I think I mean it holds up today visually. It holds up today as an amazing, unique piece of art. You know, to take frames of a comic book and to make them live action in a manner that is fresh and exciting and and is not just a visual um, gimmick, but also adds to the experience, really 
helps um, bring you into it and immerse you in this world of Sin City. Yeah, that was that was a fun movie for me. I saw that in the theaters. And uh, I mean, people were, you know, this was an Austin audience. Uh, so people were cheering, you know, when, when certain characters would come on screen that they'd been, you know, when Marv finally showed up and everybody's anticipating him. And it was kind of like, uh, you know, a, a new performer had entered the stage and people were applauding during the film. Uh, there was yeah, a lot of excitement I, when that came out. I actually think, I mean, as much of a as much of an influence as Robert Rodriguez has been on my career, I really do think that this is um, bearing how uh, Alida comes out, hit the pinnacle of his career. I mean, it really was the perfect mashup of um, his visual style, his uh, his his unique take to to filmmaking. Along with just strong, strong storytelling. Oh yeah, it was it was kind of a bummer though to see it all break down in uh, Sin City Two, a Dame to Kill for, because that was man, that was kind of a boring movie for me, and uh, the first one was so cool and exciting, and I I think it you know it could just be that um, when you're drawing from a source material like a a comic book like Sin City where it's all these little vignettes that um, you know you're gonna put the best ones in there because you don't right. know if there's going to be a sequel. And so right. when it came time for a sequel, it was just kind of like, okay, well, Frank Miller, what have you got left? You know. And yeah, and I think you know Frank Miller, for me as an artist, has done some really monumental pieces of work, but he's also had some whiffs. Um, All-Star Batman and Robin is a great example of, of uh, or, or, or The Dark Knight Strikes Again, where he kind of takes a swing and misses occasionally. Yeah. And, and it does his work does need to sort of filter through an editorial process. And um, I also wonder if Robert, how passionate Robert was at the time, yeah. you know, you certainly saw a large period of time there where his focus was more on producing and less on directing. Um, but hopefully that has changed. I've heard some good buzz about Alita Battle Angel and I'm kind of excited to see how that comes out. Visually, it looks pretty entertaining. It was a great anime. I don't know if you've ever seen the original film, but it no, is No, but I do want to watch really it before cool. I watch uh, the Robert Rodriguez version. Yeah, it's a good one. Oh, actually, Dave, um, we are getting... Uh, just a second. I'm going to have to talk to you uh, off the air. Tudengara damandadu. Orisida. Quality. Tanre. Noveless. Lavis. Okay, yeah. That confirms it. Uh, we just had a short discussion in our twin language. And, um, <laughs> we are running out of time. Uh, so what we're going to do instead is um, we're going to pick up here at this point in next week's show. So uh, next week we'll be picking up with the top five films That's right. for a rainy day. That's right. And, and tell us, let's use this week for you guys to give us some feedback. Maybe we'll read a couple of your top one, two films to read on a rainy day on next week's podcast. We get into the top five best films to watch on a rainy day now we have no guarantee that it will be a rainy day next week so out there if you're listening if you've got rain sticks uh if you know some kind of ritual dance um yes. a way and to sacrifice those, something try, do do what you can to kind of bring some rain for next, next week when we record because yeah, the cure play music the play cure, some golf rain music, have the rain in black. your heart Yes, just at keep, all times and keep it mind. rainy, and we'll just we'll pray to our um, pagan gods, and just hopefully yes. we can get some rain for next week's episode because we will feel like a couple of jackasses if we're given a rainy day episode with that sun out. <laughs> when we're out, we'll talk to you next week. You're listening to the Grindhouse Podcast on the Raining Ten Network. Please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast, and listen to us every Monday on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and wherever all fine podcasts can be found.